Hello, I'm Laura Ellsworth, welcoming you to Prairie Doc Radio. This is a program of the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3 founded by Rick and Joni Holm. We are here to answer your medical questions, so give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. With us today is Dr. Jill Cruz, ready to answer your medical questions. Dr. Cruz's specialty is family medicine. She works with the Brookings Health System and volunteers as part of the Prairie Doc team of physicians. Good morning, Dr. Cruz. Good morning. It's so excited that this new season is underway. Yeah, it is exciting. Lots of great shows coming up, and uh, you have a great show coming up this week. Tell us what you're going to be doing. Yeah, this so week. we're going to be talking about GI issues. So, uh, Dr. Christina Hill Jensen from Avera will be our guest. So, uh, we had another one lined up, but they had some personal issues, so they had to drop out last minute. We're seeing if we can find a quick replacement. Gotcha. For sure, Dr. Hill Jensen will be there, and I know she is more than up to the task of answering all our questions. Yeah, excellent. It's a big, um, big topic. It the is. GI system, right? I was wondering, could you give us a reminder of what organs are all involved in our GI system and how they work together? Yes, so basically we're talking from the lips to the bottom and everything in between. So starting, you know, um, with your mouth, you know, chewing, swallowing issues with the esophagus, the tube that connects the back of the throat to the back of the, to the top of the stomach. You have your stomach, your small intestine, large intestine, rectum. You've got pancreas, which um, gives a lot of digestive enzymes. You have gallbladder and liver plays a little bit of a role into this as well. So there's a lot going on when you're talking about the gastrointestinal system. And my essay was only able to gloss over the like highlights of, you know, problems that can go on with this entire system. Right. So um, your guest this week, is she a GI doctor? She is. Yep. She is a gastroenterologist. So that is her specialty. Okay. And then are there lots of more subspecialties yes yes for all there are there are hepatologists that strictly you know deal with the liver there's um you know endocrinology generally deals more with the pancreas because it it does many more functions than just releasing digestive enzymes um and then yeah gi then there's colorectal surgeons that just do surgery on the colon and the rectum and deal a lot with hemorrhoids and and you know rectal prolapse and those sort of issues um, you know, general surgeons do, a, and even some family practice docs like your husband mm-hmm. can do, you know, colonoscopies and EGDs um, to look at. So there's a lot of people that deal with this um, as kind of their subspecialty or, mm-hmm. or niche. Yeah, got it. All right, so it's a pretty broad topic, yes. pretty broad category. So if our listeners have any questions related to any medical topic or any gastrointestinal issues, uh, we will ask Dr. Cruz about those today. So now is a great time to give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Everyone should have smoke alarms and carbon monoxide detectors in their homes. Carbon monoxide is an odorless, colorless gas that can cause sudden illness and death. Take a few minutes to ensure your alarms are in good working order. Replace the battery at least once a year. 
This message is brought to you by the Avera Medical Group, Brookings, 697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Jill Cruz is here to answer our medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. Before the break, Dr. Cruz was filling us in on this week's Prairie Doc topic, which is gastrointestinal issues. Dr. Cruz, let's start with the esophagus. What are some of the more common issues with the esophagus? Yep. So probably the most common one we talk about is heartburn or gastroesophageal reflux disease, or GERD, as people uh, abbreviate it to. I mean, that's something that happens a lot of times. People will talk about heartburn. Um, you know, it can be that sensation of acid in the back of the throat and you may taste that acid. Not everyone does, you know, if it doesn't reflux that high, you may just feel kind of this burning sensation in the chest. Um, and that's where the term heartburn, cause it feels like a burning sensation right behind your heart. Cause your esophagus actually touches your heart. Every time your heart beats the esophagus, when we're looking with an EGD, you can see it kind of pulse and move oh. cause it kind of gets pushed around a little bit by the heart. So um, that's why it feels sometimes like the burning is coming from the heart, and it can be sometimes difficult to distinguish from heart issues to esophagus issues since they are right next to each other and literally touching. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. This relates to a question we had that came in before the show. What is a hiatal hernia, and how is it usually treated? Okay, so a hiatal hernia is when part of the... Um, GI system that should be below the diaphragm or that muscle that we used to breathe is actually up into the above the diaphragm in the chest area. So there has to be a hole in the diaphragm for the esophagus to make it through past the diaphragm into the stomach. Sometimes that gets stretched out and um, that can happen people that have forceful coughing, frequent coughing, severe vomiting and retching where they're putting lots of pressure when they'll valsalva, like when you're having a bowel movement, pressing down or lifting, carrying heavy things that can cause that area to kind of stretch out and that opening to get bigger. When that opening gets bigger, then your stomach or even more of the, I've seen the entire stomach up into the chest area, kind of sitting behind the heart there, Mm -hmm. um, or just part of it can go up into the, and that's what's called a hiatal hernia is when that happens. When something that is above up into the chest cavity that should really be down in the abdomen is there. So, what it causes is it can make it easier for acid to reflux up into the esophagus because now there's no muscle kind of, you know, separating those two out. So it causes a lot of heartburn. Um, it can cause pressure in the chest because you've, if your entire stomach is there pushing on, taking up space where your lungs and heart is, that can be uncomfortable and mm-hmm. can cause kind of this chest pressure, chest fullness sensation. Um, so those are kind of the main symptoms that we have it. Now, some people have what's called a sliding hiatal hernia. So sometimes it's up, sometimes it slides back down where it belongs, mm-hmm. and it can kind of move anywhere in between. So with those, the symptoms may come and go. One day it may be horrible, the next day it's perfectly fine. So, you know, because when it slides back down, everything goes back to normal, no problems, no symptoms. Mm-hmm. And when it's up there, you start having more of these symptoms with this heartburn, you know, pressure, pain you know, reflux symptoms. So what are some of the treatment options if you have a hiatal hernia? Yep. So uh, the biggest thing is try not to make that bigger. So, you know, watch with lifting and bending over, coughing, you know, trying to limit those issues. Um, But lowering the amount of stomach acid so there's less heartburn and reflux up into the um, 
esophagus area. And, then, and do you do that with medicine, or how do you lower that? A lot of times we do that, that with medicine, okay. with um, sometimes diet modifications, you know, okay. cutting back kind of on the high acid uh, foods, uh, like, you know, the orange juice, the tomatoes, that, that sort of thing. Um, all of that can lower that. But a lot of times we'll do it with acid-reducing medications, um, like uh, proton pump inhibitors, like, you know, Meprazole, Nexium, Prilosec, um, or you can do, like, H2 blockers, uh, Zantac, Pepsid those sort of things. So those will lower the amount of stomach acid that's produced by the stomach. Thus, there's less acid to reflux and cause mm. symptoms and problems. Um, worst case scenario, there is a surgery that will kind of pull the stomach back down into where it belongs. And then you kind of wrap the stomach around itself called a Nissen Flundaplication, which is kind of a tongue twister. Um, and then it makes it bigger so it can't slide back up and get there. Now that used to be done a lot. Um, probably 10, 20 years ago, it was a really common surgery to help with acid reflux and heartburn and hiatal hernias. Now they don't seem to do it as often. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I remember when I was a med student many moons ago, I sat through several of these procedures, actually ended up getting carpal tunnel in one hand from holding the liver back, but that's another story. so they were doing that frequently. I would see several of those procedures when I was on rotation. Now, I can't tell you the last time I've sent a patient to have that done or sent people down to see if it was an option, and you know, mm-hmm. we chose to use the medications instead. Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of times the medications are used, and surgery is, is absolutely a last resort when medications aren't doing their job. Got it. How can you tell the difference between just normal heartburn mm-hmm. and a hiatal hernia? hernia. So that's going to be probably easiest noted on we can do this with sometimes x-rays. If it's up there, we can actually see kind of the stomach air bubble up in the chest where it doesn't belong. You can see it with an EGD where we go down with the camera and actually look and say, oh, look, there it is. It's not supposed to be there. Um, You can see it on CT scan, MRI, ultrasound. So there's lots of different imaging modalities where we can look because with the GI system, most of the symptoms overlap for a lot of these conditions. Mm -hmm. So teasing it out usually requires some sort of imaging. Got it. Okay. What are some of the things we can do in general to keep our digestive tract healthy and happy? Yes. So the biggest thing is hydrate. (laughs) Fluids, uh, drinking plenty of fluids is is a good thing. Um, And also fiber, you know, having a a well-balanced diet with lots of fiber in bulk because your colon likes bulk. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fiber is kind of this miracle thing because it helps it kind of acts like a sponge drawing water into the stool. So if you're constipated and your stool's too hard, it draws extra water in. If you're having diarrhea, fiber kind of also still acts like a sponge. It also draws some of the water in. So fiber is kind of a cure-all. It's kind of a wonderful thing. And a lot of our food, um, a lot of the fiber has been taken out. White bread, you know, a lot of the, the bran or the grain of the fiber yeah, that's that's the fiber part is the bran that's mm-hmm. been taken out of white you know um, white sugar the the grain the bran you know all of that fiber part has been taken out if you look at sh- raw sugar cane mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot of fiber in that mm-hmm. but we don't want to eat fiber in our sugar so it gets refined and that's taken out so a lot of our foods um, you know rice um, white rice. So anything that's white, we've probably taken the fiber or the bran out of it. So we need to kind of replace that the way nature intended it 
for us to get a lot of fiber, mm-hmm. and that helps. Um, we found that high fiber diets can lower your risk of developing colon polyps because that fiber kind of, again, as it's going through, kind of passes through, scrapes some of those baby polyps that are just in the starting process away from the walls and prevents them from turning into a big polyp in cancer. So we found that countries where there's high fiber content, there's almost no colon cancer. Mm-hmm. Countries where there's very low fiber eating and fiber content because you've got such refined processed foods, higher colon cancer rates. So what are some tips you have for patients when they want to introduce a little more fiber to their diet? What are some easy ways to do that? Mm -hmm. So easy ways are Metamucil or the Fibercon tablets, if if you want to do that, probably not the best tasting, Mm -hmm. but, you know, looking for stuff that has whole grains, whole you know, adding some bran cereal in the morning, you know, flax seeds, also a, a good thing you can do to kind of add fiber. That's good for the heart, too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, by adding those grains back in, those whole grains um, is what you're looking for. That can help. Mm-hmm. So. Our family actually really likes prunes, which is there fascinating. <laughs> yeah. They look oh. awful, right? They look mm-hmm. ugly, but they're delicious. Yeah. <laughs> so we try to have some prunes every yeah. once in a while and as it, a snack. And it works. You know, prune juice does a really good job for keeping the bowels healthy and mm-hmm. keeping stuff regular. Um, you know, and the amount that people are supposed to have for bowel movements varies from person to person. Mm-hmm. You know, um, breastfed babies can actually go a week without pooping. Yeah. <laughs> and that's completely normal for a breastfed baby uh, because everything's like so well absorbed. As you get older, you know, one to three days is considered pretty much in the normal range. But some people are like clockwork, you know, they get up, they have breakfast, have their coffee, and a half hour later, they're in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's their normal, but that not, may not be the normal for their spouse or their friends. So mm-hmm. everyone's kind of got their own normal. Right. Um, but usually, like I said, if it's within one to three days of, of having bowel wounds, that's pretty typical. And if it's over that or you're starting to feel bloated, having pain, hey, get that fiber out, get this prune juice out, drink increased fluids. I mean, those are always great things to do that can naturally help your body um, not get so... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, so when we're talking about keeping our system healthy and happy, you talked about drinking water, mm-hmm. keeping that fiber high. Mm-hmm. Anything else you'd recommend um, to keep our digestive I, system moving? I would say if you need to use a laxative, use them sparingly because if you use them every single day, your body will become dependent on them to have a bowel movement, and now you're kind of stuck in this loop where you need to use them. Mm-hmm. So um, it can actually, the uh, stimulant laxatives can cause a condition called melanosis coli where the inside of the colon actually becomes tattooed this black Mm. color it's really interesting to look at i when i was doing colonoscopies i saw that a a number of times and it was very um, disconcerting to kind of see this it kind of looked like a leopard spotted uh, black leopard spots on the inside of your colon that should look really kind of this happy baby pink like the inside Mm. of your cheek Mm mm-hmm Gotcha. That doesn't look right. (laughs) Yeah, definitely like this is not right. Right. Um, And that is from chronic overuse of uh, laxatives. So, you know, stool softeners is a little bit different. That kind of works like the fiber where it's pulling extra fluid into the stools. But laxatives where you're causing the muscles of the colon to contract. And um, that's what a stimulant laxative would be. Uh, look for that on the labels to see if it's a stool softener versus a laxative because the chronic laxative use can cause dependence of it. Your body just needs someone to tell it, hey, contract. Mm-hmm. So, 
Yes. Last week on our aging show, we had great reminders about how important it is to stay active. Mm -hmm. And activity really can affect our digestive as well, correct? Yes, Yes. definitely. Getting up and moving, you know, that helps the the bowels move. Um, We find anything that's you know, more sedentary, we find after surgery, when people have been put to sleep by anesthesia, doesn't just put them to sleep, it puts the bowels to sleep. So it can take a couple days after someone's had surgery, like a knee replacement, Ah. hip replacement, for their bowels to kind of start waking up. And you put on chronic pain medications on top of it, especially the opioid medications, that can also cause the bowels to go to sleep. So sometimes you need to look at the medications that you're on. If you're on a chronic pain medication um, that is an opioid in nature, it's so like your tramadols, your uh, Vicodins, your hydrocodones. Um, all of those can have that, and that side effect never really goes away. Your body can develop tolerance to lots of things with narcotic pain medication, but the narcotic-induced constipation is not one of them. Mm. All right. Well, it's time for us to go to our next break. We thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio on KBRK and on our podcast. Call us now at 605 692 1430 with any medical questions you would like us to address. Look for Prairie Doc wherever you get your podcast. Today's program will be added to the podcast soon. We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Tobacco can lead to tobacco, nicotine dependence, and serious health problems. Quitting smoking has immediate as well as long-term benefits for you and your loved ones. Make the decision to be smoke-free. Stopping smoking is associated with many health benefits. If you smoke, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. That's 784-8669. Or call the Avera Medical Group Brookings for help to quit smoking today. 697-9500. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and Prairie Doc physician Jill Cruz is here to answer our medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. 605-692-1430. Our Prairie Doc topic this week is gastrointestinal issues. So Dr. Cruz has been um, discussing some of the ways we can keep our system healthy and happy and what's all all the different organs that are involved in that. Dr. Cruz, I wanted to ask you about celiac disease. Can you tell us about what celiac disease is? How do people get it and how is it treated? All right. So celiac disease is a um, disease where the body isn't able to um, absorb gluten. It has kind of an allergic reaction to gluten, which is the protein in um, like flour that makes it kind of sticky and gluten, glutinous. It's actually, I did uh, research on this when I was an undergrad in Augie. We were working, trying to find out which genes of the wheat chromosome contains the um, coding to encode gluten protein to see if we could make like, you know, not gluten free mm-hmm. <laughs> um, wheat, uh-huh. which, which is kind of interesting because most wheat things that have this gluten protein. Um, so basically what the problem is, your body has kind of an allergic reaction to that. Every time you eat anything that contains gluten protein, it can cause um, cramping, abdominal pain, bloating, diarrhea. It can make you miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, so those people have to eat gluten-free diets in order not to have the symptom happening. And it can be 
very difficult because gluten is kind of a sneaky thing that's in lots of things that you won't even think about, like breading and chicken nuggets mm -hmm. and in certain medications, in the gel coating of certain medications because it's a binder, it's sticky. Mm -hmm. So um, it's not just saying avoid flour <laughs> or avoid wheat. Um, it's much more than that. So you have to get really good at reading labels to find out. Um, to diagnose it, a lot of times uh, we do need to get biopsies through either a colonoscopy or an EGD into part of the small intestine, take a biopsy of that and look and see if there is that gluten allergy um, to it. So there's special stains that we can kind of look and see. Gotcha. That celiac disease, I have a good friend with that. And um, she talks about how difficult it is to go out to eat yes. because there are it seems like there are a lot of people who maybe just prefer to not have gluten where maybe it's mm -hmm. not like a medically necessary thing. And right. so some places can be a little like relaxed about it. Yes. And she's like, no, like I cannot, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And so, um, yep. there's been times she's had to return her plate like this. Nope. <laughs> this isn't going to work. You know? Yeah. So. There definitely is some people, it, it was kind of a, a in vogue thing for a while right. as a diet. Um, issue because again you're you're definitely cutting a lot of carbs if you're mm -hmm. cutting out things containing wheat um, but there are people with the true celiac disease it is not a it would be nice to right it's, you, you have to worry about cross-contamination and it can be severely difficult for those these people to eat out right safely right yeah yes Dr. Cruz, we had a question come in. Um, mm -hmm. This caller had his gallbladder out a year ago, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden he has to worry about emergency bathroom stops. Anything he can do to fix this? Ooh, I will definitely bring that up with Dr. Hill Jensen. Um, it does sound that can happen. Um, a lot of times we take out the gallbladder because it kind of does the same thing. Okay. Um, the gallbladder is basically an organ that sits below the liver that collects bile that the liver makes and then when you eat it's supposed to like contract and then send out a bunch of bile to help break down fats when you're eating now if your gallbladder's not there there's nothing to kind of collect it up and squirt it out when it's needed there's always just a little bit kind of trickling in so if you're getting too much oil or fatty foods um, sometimes that can cause it to flare up and then all of a sudden yes you need to go to the bathroom so what to do about that um i would say kind of probably watch the f the fat intake and um we'll, we'll see if dr hill jensen has a, a better answer to that if there's some supplement or, or thing we can do to help um with that but yeah that unfortunately is um can happen after gallbladder surgery uh, it can be we call it kind of a dumping syndrome that can happen after certain other stomach surgeries as well um, that people do for weight loss uh, and it can be very frustrating because we can't put the gallbladder back right <laughs> unfortunately mm -hmm. and it was taken out i'm sure for a very good reason like stones or mm -hmm. or infection um so you know once it's gone it's gone so yes how do we mitigate those problems I will make sure I ask that tomorrow. Yeah. So we get the expert opinion and not my uh, assuming that I know. <laughs> yes, yes. What are some of the other reasons that um, people might need to have emergency Suddenly bathroom go. stops? You know, that is, I you know, even planning things with different 
yep. family members and whatever. It's like, we got to think about these things. So mm-hmm. what, what are some of the causes and um, more yep. common causes for some of Like I said, probably the most common cause is after someone's had bariatric surgery and you get what's called dumping syndrome, where it literally just goes right through you. Um, certain medications can help with that. <laughs> Actually, some diet medications um, like the Alestra was causing that. Uh, very high greasy fatty content foods. Again, if your body is just kind of overwhelmed and can't break that stuff down, it will kind of go through you. Um, food poisoning can cause that. You know, any gastrointestinal um, infection can cause food to kind of go right through you. So those would all be pretty common causes of sudden urges to go to the bathroom. And then other conditions like irritable bowel mm-hmm. um, that can cause frequent and uncontrollable diarrhea, mm-hmm. um, celiac disease, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, all of those can cause frequent uncontrollable bathroom trips. And if you're having that, definitely want to talk with your doctor because, like I said, many of these GI conditions have very overlapping and very similar or subtle um, differences. Mm-hmm. So very similar signs or their differences are incredibly subtle. Um, sometimes we can't tell without looking. So um, on the show, you'll learn all about what capsule endoscopy, EGDs, colonoscopy, all these different modalities we can do to look and, you know, things we can do to get biopsies so we can get an accurate diagnosis. And sometimes it's a matter of trial and error. Mm-hmm. You know, for irritable bowel, sometimes that is what we call a diagnosis of exclusion, meaning we have tested for everything else and we can't find a good reason for it so this is what's left gotcha so nothing else checks. <laughs> nothing else checks the box that explains it so yeah. this is what it must be by process of elimination okay well it's time for us to go to our final break we thank you for listening to prairie doc radio on kbrk and on our podcast call us now at 605-692-1430 with any medical questions you would like us to address We will return following this informative message from the Avera Medical Group. Drinking and driving is a threat to everyone. Did you know that every day about 30 people in the United States die in a motor vehicle crash that has involved an alcohol-impaired driver? This amounts to one death every 51 minutes. Driving drunk is never okay. Choose not to drink and drive and help others to do the same. And remember to buckle your seatbelt every time you are in the car. The Avera Medical Group Brookings is concerned about your health and safety. Please call 697-9500 if you have health concerns. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I'm Laura Ellsworth and Prairie Doc physician Jill Cruz is here to answer our medical questions. Give us a call at 605-692-1430. We've been talking today about gastrointestinal issues. Dr. Cruz, tell us about diverticulitis. What is that? Yes, so diverticulitis, big long word. Um, Basically, we're talking about the itis means infection or inflammation of. Diverticula is a pocket in the colon. So in your colon, there are areas where blood vessels come in and that causes a weak point. If you've ever had like the giant inner tubes and you had one, an area that just kind of pouches out on it in a weak point, that would be called a diverticula. So your colon can get those two where those blood vessels come in, the muscles a little bit weaker in that area. So it's just an outpouching. And sometimes food can get in there. Sometimes some 
stuff can get stuck in there, it can get inflamed, it can get infected. And when that happens, you end up with diverticulitis. It happens most commonly uh, with pain, fevers, chills, nausea, sometimes diarrhea, um, and it'll be pain usually in the left lower quadrant of the abdomen. So the opposite side of where the appendix is. Appendix is on the right, diverticulitis is usually on the left because that's the most common area of the colon to get these diverticula is on that left uh, side and on the sigmoid colon. So that infection can make people feel really sick and really miserable. Uh, a lot of times we'll end up in the clinic or the ER with this pain. And um, kind of depending on how severe it is, how quickly we catch it, sometimes we can treat it as an outpatient with antibiotics. Other times people need to be in the hospital receiving IV fluids, especially if they had too much nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, um, or need stronger antibiotics if they don't respond to the outpatient oral medications. Is there any hope that it might heal? Or once you have it, you like the little <clears throat> pouch you mm -hmm. talked about? The pouch is always, once it's there, it's okay. there. Mm -hmm. Yep, the pouch is not going anywhere. All right. uh, but the infection, that yep. we can heal up. Okay. So, mm -hmm. yep, the infections can kind of come and go. But once you've had it, there's always a risk of it happening again. Sure. But then you're probably tuned in to realize. You kind of like, oh, because I've, I've had people in the ER like, you know what? This feels exactly like the last two times I had diverticulitis. And so people know, and then they tend to come in earlier. Sure. When they first notice that, ooh, twinge. I'm like, this, I, I know what this feels like. I've had this before. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, we're just about to wrap up. Dr. Cruz, you want to tell us a little bit more again about your show for tomorrow night and what we can expect with that? So I, I guess everything from your mouth to your bottom and everything in between uh, with your digestive tract. So if we're talking about tummy troubles and stomach, small intestine, large intestine, esophagus, there, it's going to be a grab bag. And I hope that we get to touch on everything. Yes, excellent. Well, before we go, please do be sure to tune in to South Dakota Public Broadcasting Television and the Prairie Doc Facebook page for On Call with the Prairie Doc most Thursdays starting at 7 p.m. Central. Tomorrow, September 15th, Prairie Doc host Jill Cruz will be discussing gastrointestinal issues with Dr. Christina Hill Jensen from Avera Medical Group Gastroenterology. So tune in this Thursday at 7 p.m. Central on South Dakota Public Broadcasting or on the Prairie Doc Facebook page. We hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and we'll listen again for Prairie Doc on KBRK, brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. Please follow the Prairie Doc on Facebook and YouTube for free and easy access to the entire Prairie Doc library. Visit www.prairiedoc.org and look for Prairie Doc wherever you find your podcast. My thanks to Dr. Jill Cruz for joining us today. And as Dr. Holm would say, stay healthy out there, people. <laughs>